Welcome to Stories Beyond DV. My name is Carolyn Robinson and I am the founder and managing director of Beyond DV. Beyond DV is an organisation that supports women and children as they rebuild their lives from domestic and family violence. During this podcast series, we will be speaking with six incredible survivor advocates, each with their own story of recovery. In each episode, we'll be calling on an expert to give us some information about each topic we cover. In the final episode of this series, we are going to be discussing recovering from intergenerational abuse. We know that when young people witness abuse in a household, that can have a significant impact on their future relationships. I'd now like to welcome Jules, our survivor advocate, and our Beyond DV ambassador, Sally, who will be chatting with Jules today. I'd like to start with the question about your background. You grew up in a household where abuse and control was a normal part of life. Can you share your experience with us? Of course, and thank you for having me today, Sally. I'm really grateful to be able to help other people. I'd start probably at nine years old. Um, I was bundled into a car in the middle of the night. um, My father chased the car, but we ended up at a police station. There, my mum met a man who became her new partner. I'd never met him, but within weeks we were living with him. I never saw my house again, my dog again. I never saw my cousins again. And for years after this, I would lie under my bed sobbing and I reverted back to sucking my thumb. My dad had tried to have access with us, but my mother wanted nothing to do with him. In later years, told me he wanted nothing to do with us. This is now proven to be false. The new man was physically intimidating. It was called a gentle giant to everyone else, but inside the home, it was apparent he had an amazingly dreadful temper and our life was erratic, trying to work out what would trigger the outburst, what would start him off. When his car would come down the driveway at night, we'd wait to see what mood he was in. If he was happy, we were all expected to be happy families and laugh at his jokes. But if not, he might throw his meal at a wall, he might punch a hole, or he might hurt and talk to, yell at my mother all night. As children, we wouldn't know what would cause it. Sometimes I remember mum wasn't supposed to wear pants because they weren't feminine, or um, that he didn't like the food. I'm sure there was more to it than that, but the memories are terror. There were visits from the police, but nothing seemed to happen. It was Brisbane in the 70s. Almost all the ladies I knew were victims from their husbands. One had bruises, another one still can't hear because she was hit around the head so badly. I became a difficult teenager and I would try and tell him the error of his ways. I would try and get in the middle of them. But this made him infuriated and my mother angry at me and she often told me that I made everything worse for her life. I was an awful child. I didn't want to take his name when they got married. I didn't want to go on car trips with them. And as we grew older, my younger sister started dating and she dated an Italian. And this is when it got really bad. He kept going on about the gun under the house and how he'd shoot that excuse the language, if he came over. They went out still and we walked on eggshells. He'd have a lot of males under the house. Some of them had guns and they talked about it a lot. We tried to live a normal life, but obviously it was hypervigilance. Um, I wanted to study, but he said I was lazy and I had to work in the family business. Um, Luckily, Mum thought that. 
and I became a teacher, eventually moving out, but constantly worrying that he would hurt or kill her. She often said that if he ever got anything incurable, he'd take her with him. Moving away from my teaching was seen as a betrayal by the family and I was told years later of how I'd abandoned my mum and left her. We'd been a scared triangle of victims and I hadn't wanted to continue. Needless to say, it's affected my grown-up relationship. Mum says he was not that bad and he mellowed as he aged. Once he never hit us, we shouldn't be having any issue with it. And that's pretty much in a snapshot of my life. Oh, gosh. So... How would you say growing up with that has actually impacted you in your relationships as an adult? I think it still impacts. When I was growing up, there was no word for what was happening. We didn't talk about it. So all of this was going on in so many homes and nobody ever mentioned it. I used to sit under the school building in the dark and cry about the embarrassment and the shame and the fact that I was complicit or even an antagonist left me guilty I knew no males I could talk to. I felt ashamed and I had quite a few men in my early teens tell me that I was too heavy for a girl, so that added to my lack of self-esteem. I always played the clown or used sarcasm with men. I had no clue what to say to them, how to get along with them. I didn't trust them. Um, As I grew older, I had some relationships, but they were always superficial. I never actually let anyone near me. When I went away teaching, it was to a really misogynistic town, a mining town, and obviously there I also felt this was all so unjust. I didn't get on. I was always joking and and a mate, but I didn't trust them. Um, I then met a man and he was quiet. He seemed funny. He seemed gentle and more particularly he never, ever would hurt anybody. He would never raise his voice. He said he would never hit a woman. That for me was enough. I thought that was what I wanted in a relationship. And so for the next years, I probably ignored what they would call red flags now. Things like not being spoken to if I did something he didn't like, things like not having people to the house much, or if we had to, it was a massively big event. Him having no friends, him not really wanting me to contact my family. Um, Because we were kind of isolated and alone, it didn't seem that unusual. Once I had children, though, it became apparent that he just did not want the extra work of child rearing and that he wanted a working wife, full-time worker, but still doing all the child rearing. He was very upset about having to do the things that any other father seemed to want to do and it came to a crunch when I got cancer. The boys were eight years old and I was quite ill and all I could hear was the three of them arguing and him roughing them around and talking horribly to them and I used to come out and try and peacemate but I was really ill. When I got cancer the second time they were about grade nine and it was really bad. From then on and I I didn't go out without them if I could help it or I went out late at night when they were safe. I took them with me. Um, They did not get on. If I went to work I'd come back to three people arguing and he always had a story. He always had a reason why they'd been naughty and they were they're not cowering kind of kids but it just seemed to be it was all wrong. He then left. Uh, my scars revolted him. So he left without warning, didn't tell me until the boys and I were home together and then he left. Um, after he left, the boys started to tell me 
and it became obvious that there'd been a lot more going on than I'd known and that he was good at hiding it. So he would hit them in places that didn't show. He would pull them, push them, scream at them, call them stupid, um, make them cry. It was horrible. And it's taken me all of this time now to actually get over the fact that this happened in my house. Um, I've had no relationship since then. I married him 32 years ago. He's been gone six years. I will never trust another man. Did you ever find out whether he had come from a similar background? It was really interesting. When I first met him, we were um, only just acquaintances and we bonded on the fact that he didn't like his mother. And at that stage, I couldn't understand how anyone couldn't like their mother. But as he went on over the years to tell me stories, it was obvious I think he was abused, definitely um, emotionally and probably physically. So when we both would talk about our trauma, I think it was a bond where we both were in a place maybe where the other person understood and maybe that was more of a bonding experience than I realised. I thought we were the same kind of people but I think it was more we'd had the same kind of experiences. Can you talk about your own family, how you intentionally have looked at how that ends? Yeah, I am... I know that all through my marriage, I just never wanted my children to go through the kind of life I had and yet it happened. So what I've done now is to make sure that my children know that what happened to them shouldn't have happened and it will never happen again. We're intentionally, without even realising it, we're telling and talking about our story and making sure that People understand that there are, they call it red flags, that you don't have to be treated this way. And when we're in our home and my, my children are there, we are, we are with such respect for each other. We make sure we listen, we give opinions without overriding it, things we've never had in our lives before. And this is why we have all promised to each other that it will never happen. And that if ever we were in that kind of stress where you do get angry or frustrated that we will make sure we reach out for help and that's the way we're going to live our lives forward. We've made a promise and a pact for that. Because of the pact, do you feel that, you know, if you or your children ever were to come into a relationship that made you concerned or made them concerned, do you feel that you guys would hear each other? Definitely. There is no way in the world that we would ever, um, well, hopefully, the way it is now. We talk all the time. We're very honest with each other. If we had concerns, we would voice them. I often do voice concerns to my children in a way that I say, I'm not trying to interfere in your lives, but how are you going with this aspect or what's happening with that aspect? And we're able to have discussions and find out each other's views about it. And I I hope that will continue in the future. My biggest hope is that we've all promised to each other that no one of our family will ever, ever hurt another human being intentionally. And that's something that we want to live our our lives by now. We want to help. And I do feel that hopefully I'd never want my children to have gone through what they went through, but I do think that because of it they will be people that help others for a better world. I hope that they manage to get information out there into other people's lives that changes them, you know, their lives for the better. That's, I think, where we're going to head. And if we're talking about recovery, and, I mean, you know, you're recovering not only from your own but, you know, intergenerational mm. domestic family violence. How have you recovered? I think the interesting thing was that when I first heard my children's stories, 
all I could think about was them and what they'd been through and how I didn't know and the blame on myself was amazing. It took really good counsellors to help me but they had to help my kids first. It's a bit like the analogy in the plane. I wasn't going to be okay until I knew they were okay and that wasn't helping them. It was only really when I probably walked through the doors of Beyond DV two years ago that I went, wait a minute, I need help and I've been lucky enough to get it. Um, I've talked to wise friends, ones that didn't judge me, ones that didn't judge Andrew, my ex-husband, just went, let's have a look at your part in this and what you can do without going backwards too much, you know. Let's find how you can go forwards. I've talked to other family members now who never, ever would you talk to family members about this, but I wanted to find out as a child what it was like for me. I've tried to help other people. That gives me so much satisfaction and... I'm still only really a work in progress, but I'm getting there with a lot of female, mostly female, may I say, help. I've been very, very, very lucky. So you've spoken to family members from your past about it. What's been their response? I actually connected with my father. Everyone in that family has said, I don't think it would have happened. I don't know. I have no memory. Um, But it's been a really tricky thing of I know that I've been lied to a lot in my life and it's been a really tricky balance of trying to work out the truth from the lies. I've got to the point where I'm just trying to live in the moment and go forward. Certainly on my maternal side, I've always been the difficult child. I always intended, well, was fighting rather than fleeing and because my sister didn't fight, she was very scared so I felt protective of her and my mum. I've kind of never been one to be accepted into that family so I've always been like the difficult child and that still stays. What do you think needs to be done to break intergenerational cycle of violence? I've thought a lot about this. As a teacher I've spent my whole life protecting children. How did it get to this? There's so many layers. The stigma is First of all, I I find it unbelievable. Obviously, as a child, you hit it. It was shameful. It was guilty. But we're looking at 50 years later and it's still not right. When we went through what we went through, the responses were absolutely amazing. He couldn't have done that. He wasn't like that. He was such a gentleman. Are you sure the kids weren't just too much for him? Did you Should you have stayed home more? Um, so many things that just didn't make any sense to me. There was very little support and people didn't want to talk about it. So I think the biggest thing is places where you can talk about it. It's becoming, you notice more about it now, but it's almost like something that happens to other people. It needs to be something that everybody, particularly parents of young children, get. It can happen anywhere. It can happen to you and on either side. And um, it doesn't need for there to be a major life-threatening event to make this happen, but lots of stress will cause differences in relationships. And I think we need conversations and we need support. I think our culture of manliness, I, I shudder still. I cannot watch football on television. I couldn't go to my children's games at school because it was all about let's get in and give them a good good knock. That's something that seems to be almost hero-worshipped. Um, the boys' schools, boys will be boys. My children went to boys' schools. I would never do it again if I had my way. The, the stories were horrifying. Yet people didn't believe me or them. And I think the biggest thing is education. 
one in, I think it's four children can experience domestic violence. They're sitting in our classrooms, maybe six in a class. Every day at school might be the only safe place they've got, but our teachers are inundated, they're overwhelmed, and we're not at all attracting good people into the place. The programs that are going into schools for domestic violence, they're certainly wonderful, but we need to support this at grassroots levels. Teachers have to be supported and kids need to feel safe. They don't often tell you kids. They will keep it to themselves. It's still shameful. But if they do tell you, what do we do with it? Where does that go? It doesn't seem to be anything that can be helped. So there are a lot of reasons I think it's still going on. And what does your life look like now? I'm still working that out. I'm living for the first time in a a long, long time in a peaceful house where um, my child and I negotiate and we can discuss things. And I feel a bit lost. I I realise I haven't relaxed in my own home in a very long time. I'm still struggling to try and find peace of mind, looking for hobbies and looking maybe for new friendships as well. My old friendships have been tarnished a lot by the fact that my children particularly weren't believed and often too when you become a single person all of those dynamics change and you're kind of left floating along really uh, with by yourself I feel but it's not done intentionally I think it's just the way society is um I was difficult too obviously I had a period of mourning and wasn't always cheerful and that can be difficult um but I've got some beautiful female friendships I'm looking for hobbies and I'm trying to build a life up now. And what advice do you have for other women who have experienced intergenerational abuse and are also trying to rebuild their lives? The main thing I I had a lot of was guilt. I didn't always believe my children because I trusted this person. And so I used to believe it when he said that it, they'd caused this or they'd done that and they'd been this and they'd been that. And because they they were boys. And sometimes and they, they are. Exactly. Because sometimes children are tricky, you yep. know? Yep. But he always, to me, it was like I'd come home from work to three children and try and sort out the truth of it, and that was horrible. So my advice would be maybe sometimes, and this I should have known better than anybody as a teacher, but sometimes listen more carefully to them and take that other person away out of the equation because he wasn't telling the truth a lot of the time, and they were. Um, I think the other thing is surround yourself with supportive, positive people. I We had a, a lot of people that weren't supportive. In fact, I had stand-up arguments with some of them who I really respected and believed in. So if someone's toxic or not supporting you or doubting you or your children, maybe minimise contact with them. Have open, frank discussion with your children. Let them talk and and really listen. Um, Minimise their and your exposure to negative screens, negative shows, negative people, screen time, social media, all of that stuff that makes you feel bad. Put it away. And if something keeps triggering you, and it will, find a way to help your mind move away from it. Let your mind play a different soundtrack. Sometimes I I was taught to get that soundtrack that I had and look at it as a broken record. Try and, in your mind, visualise you're taking the record off the player and putting on another one. And then find something, exercise, meditation, a different kind of music and different friends. And the best thing someone said to me, my very best friend said to me, and she gave me a little plaque and it said, don't look backwards, you're not going that way. And it's true, try and move forwards. It's the only way. 
Thank you so much, Joe. We are so grateful for your rawness and your vulnerability and sharing your story. Thank you so much. And Beyond DV is so honored to be part of your journey as you move forward. Thank you, Sally. I just want to wish anybody going through anything like this the best, and it does get better. You just have to keep trying and finding people that will support you like Beyond DV. Thank you to everybody. I would now like to welcome our expert, Lula Dembele. Lula is the Director of Lived Expertise and Advocacy at the Illawarra Women's Trauma Recovery Centre. It is sad that the evidence does repeatedly show us that exposure in childhood to domestic family and sexual abuse does increase the likelihood of being either uh, re-victimised in adulthood or becoming a perpetrator of abusive behaviours as well. It's identified in our national primary prevention framework, Change the Story, as one of the reinforcing factors that allows uh, these forms of abuse to really proliferate and continue across Australia. And it is a pretty tragic thing that being impacted at such a young age and having your self-esteem, your learned behaviour, your ways of adapting impacted by abuse and the conditioning of that and our the coping mechanisms that we develop, they can set us on really negative paths. So it can be, unfortunately, that people see that in order to feel secure or to maintain control in their life, they need to exert power over others. And so they grow up doing those behaviours, those behaviours of dominating their partner, of controlling their finances, social isolation, um, using uh, verbal and physical violence. And on the flip side, you also have people who learn that being treated badly is to be expected. That's the norm. And we also have the impact of trauma bonding and other ways that are not the most healthy forms of attachment to have in your key and foundational relationships that you then take into adulthood. So I'm not a psychologist. uh, I'm not a doctor. I can't really say the absolute cause of why we see that increased likelihood for victimisation and perpetration in adulthood, but it's definitely there. It's one of the most consistent risk factors uh, for domestic family violence perpetration or experience of or people using harmful behaviours and I think it's really important to complement our understanding of gender inequality and how that plays out and allows domination of men over women in relationships but complement that with the understanding that we're humans and that we have an emotional world and we have insecurities and we have ways of expressing ourselves to find security, belonging, attachment, all those things that can be really harmful to others if we haven't had healthy examples. Thank you for listening to Stories Beyond DV. And thank you to our guests, our survivor advocate, Jules, our expert, Lula Dembele, and our interviewer, Sally Steele. If you are being impacted by domestic and family violence, or you know someone else who is, please don't hesitate to reach out for help either by calling 000 if you are in immediate danger or the National Domestic Violence Helpline at 1800RESPECT. You can find out more information about the programs and services we offer for victim survivors of domestic and family violence on our website beyonddv.org.au. 
Please follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode and share with a friend. It really helps to spread the word. You never know who might need to hear this. Stories Beyond DV was made possible with support from the Zonta Club of Brisbane. This series was produced and sound designed by Tiffany Dimack. I'm Carolyn. Take care and I look forward to talking to you next time.